Welcome to our episode today for Say Word. Say Word is a podcast that we started, and the goal is to inform, to offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events that are happening in Toronto, in our backyard, and all over the world that our viewers can connect with. And we started this podcast to offer thoughtful and intentional perspectives, something that each of us felt was lacking in our media today. We all grew up in Toronto, hence the name Say Word, and we aim to provide you content that is a good use of your time. I am your host, Ahmed. I am a Brampton man that will show up on time when you tell him to be there for 5 p.m. So no Somali time, <laughs> none of that. And helping me make today's episode a success are four incredible brothers. So I got my, my boy Hirsch, pontificator, but never a hater. Watch the rhyme. Hailing from the West End. I got my boy Hassan, purveyor of useless information, hailing from North York, West End. I got my brother Badr, a.k.a. Batter, YMCA pickup basketball first ballot Hall of Famer, a downtown man but represents Scarborough. I got Elsie, Laron, a.k.a. Elsie Belafonte, a.k.a. Kobe Bean Bryant, is top three of all time, a.k.a. Don't At Me, hailing from the West Indies by way of Scarborough. So we got another Scarborough man. So we got some diversity on the, on the call today. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here today. How are you guys doing? Yeah, that was a great intro, man. Great intro. Just a point of order. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born and raised in Toronto. Great but, intro. Uh, I think I've been here for long enough to claim it, so it's all good. It's all good. Nah, I wasn't born here either, bro. Don't worry. <laughs> we're all immigrants. Not, we're all immigrants. Neither, neither was, neither was I. I came here when I was eight. So yeah, yeah see, so. You'd be surprised. I, I was born here, but I've recently learned to, and I've recently learned to accept people from Scarborough. So this is this is a step. In, this is a step in the right direction. Same, same, same. I appreciate. I appreciate you. Everyone you from know, Toronto that, is from somewhere else, man. They always claim yeah. something else. You know what I mean? So it's all good. It's all about belonging. It's all about inclusivity. Yeah. So, gentlemen, we're gonna we're gonna be talking on uh, on a number of different topics today, and and I'm excited to get your perspectives. We got some fun topics, we got some some serious topics. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and get started. So, LinkedIn is one of my most used social media platforms. I love it. It's a professional platform. It's an extension of my professional identity, and there's so many benefits that I've gotten from it. And so many ways that you could use it today. And people use LinkedIn to learn. People use it to network, to keep up with business, to keep up with things that are happening in the world. But one of the things I've started to notice was um, is this trend of clout chasing, or what I like to call humble bragging. And people use it in subtle ways to brag about themselves, about now their family members. And there's countless examples of screenshots that I have on my phone that um, I can share at, an, at a later time. And it's just go, it goes beyond LinkedIn, too. It happens on other social media avenues, so it ha definitely happens on Instagram, happens on Facebook, happens on Twitter. And then, obviously, each medium has, a, has an objective to serve. And I've noticed that the spike has recently – or there's been a spike in humble bragging or clout chasing since COVID, uh, since COVID hit. Hershey, I know that um, social media is um, – you're pretty savvy when it comes to it. I think you have a really good uh, Instagram presence. You're good on LinkedIn. You understand Twitter. My question to you is, is social media now primarily becoming a vanity tool used to show the world how special and how great we are versus what it was originally intended for? I'm glad that you touched on cloud chasing because I, I think we've all known that it's, it's, been, it's been a funny aspect of social media for a while. I want to I first uh, mention the fact that it's uh, I see a difference in terms of celebrating achievements, which I want people to do. And I think it's important for us to do, especially people 
other black people uh, because often we kind of under underplay our achievements. But I think there's a clear difference between celebrating achievements and clout chasing. And I, I think it's obvious on IG, Facebook, Twitter, and in terms of the purpose of social media, of course, it's it's meant to connect people. So cloud chasing may be an aspect of that, but I think LinkedIn doesn't get talked about enough, uh, or the things that people are posting these days are hilarious. And I'll just give you guys some quick examples. So I saw a man say he completed 175 certifications in 50 days. Why are you always lying? The people that lie on their kids. This guy said, who said his 10-year-old in just five minutes developed a dashboard on an open source time series database. Stop fucking lying. Five minutes. I just feel like people need to tone it down a bit because it's getting, it's kind of getting out of hand. But, but a question, question to that before the, before the guys step in, like, what if that was intended to be a form of uh, inspiration versus just uh, simple bragging? But, uh, okay, so it's the wording that was used, and I'm, okay. I'm glad you clarified that. It's the wording <laughs> and the way they frame the messages that make it obvious that it's like humble bragging as opposed to an inspiring message. And I think we we all know the differences. Like you, we see it online, right? Like when somebody's being sincere, it comes off as sincere, but we're just starting to see more and more of this stuff uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I find LinkedIn to be funnier because it's more eloquent, right? Like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's like people, even if they're humble bragging, it's a, it's, it's a short note or, or some, something that's like more, I guess, natural in terms of the way we talk about Facebook. It's like some, I mean, LinkedIn, it's like someone pulled out a thesaurus and they're trying to humble brag, but in the most eloquent way possible. And I think that's where the gems come from. That's why it's so much funnier, right? The thing about the kids, though, we're bragging about kids. I have a kid and I do in some way understand it, but I do see, I think I know what you're talking about, Hirsch, when, you, when you're talking about like seeing a post on LinkedIn or on social media about someone's kid does sometimes bother me there's not even necessarily a message to it you know <laughs> it's yeah. actually just bragging right but for the most part you know now i used to be like ah, i don't give a shit about your kid who cares about your kid like, no one gives a shit <laughs> like oh your kid can clap great great for your for your kid you know wow i can clap too right but uh but like now now i get it and like i do the same thing you know i'm like look look my my daughter kicked the ball you know it's amazing. She's only whatever months old, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're just generations in between. I don't know if there's a gap in terms of like achievement level. And when I was eight or nine, people were thinking about like you, how much Yu-Gi-Oh cards can I pick up with a loose change? You know what I mean? Or Pokemon cards. So are yeah. kids going from that to building open source databases? Like I, that's where I kind of get lost because they sound like they're going to be Nobel laureates at 13. <laughs> It's possible. It's possible. Just different I, I, what they have to experience, you know. So, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. It, it, it seems innocent. So, so which which brings which which uh, brings me to my next question: Have you guys ever been guilty of uh, of cloud chasing or humble bragging on social media? And it doesn't have to be specific to LinkedIn. It could be IG. Right. Yeah. So, um, when I heard the topic, I was actually a little bit. I I took it a little differently, um, in terms of uh, just uh, cloud chasing, uh. We all kind of look for ways to differentiate ourselves, you know what I mean? I don't mean to get too zen with it, but I try to look at things. I try to understand why people do the things they do, as opposed to just watching what they do, you know what I mean? Like, we all look for ways to differentiate ourselves. That's why, you know, if someone wants to buy 
a more expensive pair of Jordans or we need the exclusive Jordans in and you want to go out so people see the Jordans or whatever, right? We all need to feel so that our existence here means something and we're like special or something, right? So I get it. My issue is when it's just obvious and it's just like cringe, like, okay, we get what you're doing. Like, you know what I mean? Like when someone uh, does like a video in the car and then they t- tilt their head to the side to show the, the symbol on the car, like if it's a Maserati or something. Oh, okay, I, I get it. If you want to, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I understand what you're doing or like take me back and it's like eight years ago or something, right? I mean, like, you know what I mean? So, I, I'm, again, I'm not judging, right? I don't want to seem like I'm judging anybody because like in terms of the question you just asked, um, have you ever been guilty of... I've done it, right? I've been, like, there was a moment a couple years back I was dealing with, like, like a tough breakup. And everything I was posting on Instagram, being perfectly honest, was just to show her that, hey, I'm happy without you. So if I'm at a basketball game, a Raptors game, hey, look, I'm happy without you. You know what I mean? Just little things to make myself feel better. And when I started feeling better about the situation, I started posting less, right? So, um, yeah, well, I think we've all been guilty of that to some extent i think uh i just have to for me personally i try not to judge why people do things i get it we're all trying to feel like we belong and trying to like differentiate ourselves like our existence is special so it's all good just don't be too cringe with it like don't don't. yeah i like what you said there about not not judging but but seeking to understand you know and 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 i think that's especially tough and it, it actually brings us to the next topic around these, the increase of anger that I see on, 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 on the internet in general, not just even limited to social media. I actually, I recently had an incident with um, a gentleman on LinkedIn of all platforms where he started attacking me because of a very neutral comment that I made. And, and, I'll, and I'll share with the audience uh, at another time of that experience. And there's clearly uh, issues there, but a lot of anger. And, and I call these folks the, the, the keyboard warriors or the, the armchair activists, sorry, as the scientific uh, America likes to call them, because, you know, you, you wonder, do they act like this in real life, the, the way that they, they act behind the screen? And, and Laurent, um, you, know, you, you mentioned that, like, you, know, you always try to understand people and what they do and, and, and try not to judge. But, like, why, why, are so, why are people so angry on the Internet? Right. I think uh, the anger has increased during COVID. And I wanted to make this point in the, the last segment. I think the cloud chasing has actually gone down during COVID. Oh, you COVID think so? Because, okay. Yeah, because now okay. I'm seeing a lot more, like, posts with, like, nature and people going out and re- people really celebrating what's, like, to them more important. Because when you strip everything away, there's no going out, no hanging out, no real, like, there's not much of anything. You can't really brag that much, right? So you just have to go out and show the park you're in, right? Or enjoy the park, right? But um, in terms of why people are angry, I think uh, I think during COVID, it's it's been uh, amplified because people feel like people have a sense that something's a little bit off in terms of like how uh, you know things things work. You know what I mean? If you have a situation where people are losing jobs, a, a lot of people are losing jobs. Wealth is increasing, the stock market is doing well, but people are losing jobs and you're telling them you can't give them assistance to, to, to live pretty much. So people are looking at that and they're like, they need to channel that anger somewhere. So a lot of times they direct that anger towards other people, right? Trying to like, uh, you know, talk down on other people or, or um, judge what other people do. So people kind of manifest that anger in different ways, but I think people are just kind of frustrated with their own lives. Um, I think we're all guilty of this at some point, feeling like frustrated with our own lives. And sometimes when you're frustrated, you tend to project that frustration. And if you have a platform, if you have social media where you can, you know, just 
let your voice be heard on an amplified level, you'll make use of that and you'll when you're exposed to different people, if you post something, like if you're on Twitter and you post something and a stranger writes a response to it and you don't agree with it, of course you'll you'll turn up, right? And if you're angry about something already, right? So I mean I get it. I understand why there's so much anger. That's a, yeah, that's a fascinating sense. Hirsch, you, it looks like you want to say something. Side note, um, in researching the last uh, topic, <clears throat> I saw people on there, like beside their LinkedIn profile, the word simp. So like I saw a name and simp right beside their profile. And I just wanted to clarify <laughs> for the audience, if you see that it stands for the Singapore Institute of Multidisciplinary Professions. <laughs> Got it! So that's not a joke. There's actually like SIMP certificate certification programs out there, just in case anybody was confused. No, it's so, not hate language. Uh, hate language. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for thanks for, thanks for sharing with the class. Thanks for sharing with the class. <laughs> Glad you clarified. That was weighing on my mind. Too. I was losing sleep on that one too, man. But also the added layer, and this is what we're gonna say: the added layers. Now you don't even know who's a real person and who's a bot and who's like some 12 year old kid but he just found some like random stock photos of some you know big yeah. russian dudes you know to make them look more tough on twitter right so like you don't know who's who anymore which was before it was like you don't know if this person's actually about it in real life right but that was actually the person and now it's like everybody has a different person personality I, people like having a a burner account is a thing now Comment. People have burners, you know. I won't say if I have one, but <laughs> people have burners, you know. I'm not even that active on my actual accounts, you know. So yeah. it's useless to me a burner, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I think um, yeah, people are just more willing, and that, like the gen- generation Z thing. I think people maybe our age and older maybe underestimate how much people are using social media. I want to build on those points. In a Scientific American article that uh, I mentioned on the outset, uh, there's three key factors um, that they point to. So one was anonymity. So the fact that you don't know um, who's on the other side, and that's increased with like burner accounts. Two is distance from the person. So not being like you you don't know who you're attacking. You can't go and stand in front of my house. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it allows you to be more distance um, and easier to write. Uh, this vitriol than say this vitriol, right? And I use the example yeah, of like, NBA players. Like people will talk yeah. shit from the stands, but they because they assume you're not gonna go like Jermaine O'Neal or Ron Artest on them, you know? Like you're, yeah. you're not gonna actually come face to face. This um, so yeah. those are three yeah. key factors. But one thing, one thing as well is I think it's also a reflection of what we see in media. So the reporting. Uh, that we see in media is so sensationalized, right? So why are we surprised that the reactions are sensational in nature too? So if you're on CNN, um, they're showing images of looting, uh, people breaking uh, or destroying property. Obviously, that's that's going to cause a vitriolic reaction. So I think it's like, I, I find it funny that sometimes people are so surprised at like, why are people so angry when like the press media almost is uh, functioning in a way yeah. where need, yeah, they need uh, to spark these reactions in order to increase views, in order to increase revenue. So I don't put it all on the side of like the individuals. I think like the media has a part to play in this kind of sensational nature of things too. 
No, it right. does. And to build on that and what Better was saying, like with um, how people are absorbing news and getting information off there that you might get elsewhere, they're finding right. everything that they can on Instagram. And a lot of that is me having been in a journalism program and having worked in the field before, them reducing news to 140 characters and then bite-sized Instagram video loops with very little context and people mm -hmm. just sharing those. Same with the Facebook videos and the YouTube videos and not really knowing all the specifics. So you could be sharing uh, fundamentally incorrect um, information and have no idea. I was just saying, if I may, I actually want to give a more concise answer to the question of why people are this angry. So I think the main reason, um, I heard this quote one time and I think it's very true. It says, uh, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, if you look at social media, right, on any of your social media accounts, Instagram or whatever, um, how many people on those accounts have you never even really had a 10 minute conversation with? You just kind of know them. You met them somewhere. You spoke for a little while and they become friends, right? There's some people you don't really know that well, right? You're constantly bombarded with them projecting the best versions of themselves. Sometimes it's fake, right? Uh -huh. So they're always they're always showing you whatever you they want you to see. So if they're if they have a snapshot of a moment, they're very very happy, and you may not be going through the best of times. You're seeing the best version of that, so it automatically puts you in a state of like, oh man, inadequacy, right? And another thing I think particularly uh, with this era, uh, with uh, commercialism, we've gotten very good at marketing inequality. We've gotten very good at marketing, okay, so this is where you need to get to. So people are never satisfied, like, you need to be here. Like, you see rappers all the time, like, the constant theme in rap music, or, like, in rap music is, I'm better than you, right? And that's, rap music essentially pop culture, right? I have a better car. I have better women, I, you know, I have more money, I have this and that, right? So you're always in this point of like you're feeling inadequate and you're striving for something, right? And on top of that, you have all these world issues happening around you and you may feel like you're not getting to where you get to, you need to get to fast enough. So that will keep, that, that keeps people very uh, in a state of like, like you're feeling inadequate somewhat. You feel like, okay, I need to get to this point. And you really have to be someone who knows yourself to not get, you know, not get caught up in those negative feelings, right? And you see, you get, it's very obvious when people get caught up in negative feelings and they start trying to compete with each other because they use, they do the, the cloud chasing thing to try to make themselves feel better, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot, that has a lot to do with why people are angry because half of the people, like, think of how many people you really talk to and you really, most of us have a pretty guarded existence where we have our friends, we know who we laugh and joke with. When on social media, you're exposed to everybody. Every knucklehead that has something to say, every bot, every, every racist, you see everything, right? So you're always triggered by something like, what the hell does this mean? Like, why, is, why are you saying this? How could you see things this way? But if you weren't on social media and you're just living your life, you probably won't be having these conversations or be exposed to this type of content. So you're able to kind of filter the information that you're exposed to, you know, yeah. better. And um, your, your point about inadequacy and, and, and them feeling that is, I think, um, really ties in well to like mental health issues, which I think we should talk about on another episode. And uh, I think for me, like coming out of this, um, this, this subject, I, you know, I think about what um, that same article that Hirsch was referring to was about um, the advice that scholars give to kind of address this issue with angry people on the internet, which is which is really boils down to just communication, right? Which is 
all about taking someone's perspective, trying to understand it and responding to it. And funny how the angriest ones are the ones with the worst grammar and, and, and spelling mistakes too as well. It makes you right. makes yeah. you wonder about their, their level of education. And, and They're so teaching. angry. They, they, they don't bother to spell check. You know, like that's how angry they are. Education sucked. They probably had a bad teacher, which actually is a good way to introduce our segue for our say word moments. Right. Every episode, we're introducing a say word moment where we talk about a completely unrelated topic. And I wanted to talk about the Ontario education school system because I think our audience would appreciate that. And as we all know, being Torontonians, you know, we most of us have gone through the education system here in Toronto. A lot of things have changed, right? Larger class sizes, new curriculum, a number of different changes. And I couldn't help but think about how this could implicate the quality of education and the quality of teaching that, you know, future generations are going to receive. And you know, you think about teachers as well, like the quality of teaching, um, and it can obviously play a, a, an important role and a significant role in our lives, whether it's good or bad. Um, and for me, I can remember many great teachers that I've had that have had a lasting impact on my life, and I'm sure you guys can think of someone as well too. And it, and it seems like every day now, that's going to be less of a less likelihood of a reality for for our for our children. Hassan, I actually wanted to to, to get your thoughts on this too, and. You know, what What do you think or what's your opinion around what are the short and long-term effects uh, bad teachers can have on students? Disinterest from students. You're going to you're going to feel a lot more detachment or you're going to notice the student, the affected student or the affected student start to put their attention elsewhere. And that could end up in more harmful uh, endeavors uh, or just more distracting. They could they could just not participate in. Um, whatever is being taught, uh, you, I know for a fact that uh, maybe like sixth, seventh, or eighth grade, middle schoolish uh, time period, I started to pull away from a lot of uh, the curriculum that was being taught at the time because I felt like I could sit hours in front of Wikipedia and know more than what my English teacher was telling me. Depending on how bad the teacher is in this sense, um, it could lead kids to like i was saying harmful activities like the streets it could lead kids to feel like they won't matter into the world that they're being prepared to being sent off into so yeah that's that's more so the perspective i have on it it's it's i think it's very important especially in the early years elementary school um and up into high school because uh, those are your formative years and that's where a lot of uh habits long lasting habits are built there's also like a, a line you know you have in a distinction that you have to kind of teach kids that like kids should know when a teacher is trying to challenge them in an education educational way or if they're trying to challenge them because they just don't like the kid or you know um and teachers as well they need to understand that like when students challenge them on what they're telling them that it's okay to have discussion right and i think my my bad experiences with teachers have always been with teachers that would not be open to discussion, you know, on things that they were trying to teach, especially things that were not just black and white, you know, especially, you know, I had really good, uh, I remember having really good math and science teachers, but those are very evidence-based disciplines, right? And it was always like the English teacher or the history teacher or, you know, that teacher that I typically clashed with. And a lot of my friends who most of them, you know, were black and people of color, they clashed with too, right? Um, you know, we all know the type of teaching of history they do here, and you can understand probably why, um, you know, there's clashing there too, right? But that's another story. But 
Okay, so I think it's important to cover a topic like this because it's akin to policing in a certain way because teachers are not immune to the same issues uh, that society has to reckon with, like racism. But also like policing, it's too important of a function to just chalk up issues to uh, just that's the way it is. Not every uh, black kid in Ontario will have interactions with police. However, almost every kid will engage with the school system. Teachers hold a lot of influence over kids' lives. Um, for the police side, so you see killings and the impact is so visible that it's easy to rally around that, right? But is it easy for us to rally around students that drop out because of a bad teacher, a school system that is unfair? It doesn't catch as much headlines, but from a societal level, it's so important because time and time again, we see that uh, a good education uh, background uh, is probably the most important way to pull yourself out of poverty. Um, yep. So research has shown that. Right. I completely agree. I'm sure we could all, we all look back sometimes and see a teacher that we wanted to prove something to who may have, you know. Agreed. Yeah, we want to prove something to that teacher just because they thought something or they wanted to, you know, box us in. I remember there was one experience I had. She did this thing in her class. And again, I like this teacher very much. She separated the class in terms of uh, grades, right? Who got the higher grades so she would have like five different groups so the highest grade would be here and the second highest and then the people that they consider like the ones that aren't learning as much in a, a group by themselves and thinking about that after like getting older i'm like yo that must have had a significant impact on how those kids saw themselves right that's deep bro i, I thought of it as like getting a pick for the all-star team but <laughs> <laughs> i think i'll use the example i had of a guidance counselor and this this expands it so we know that it's not just teachers right because it's not just teachers in the school so a guidance counselor that i tried to interact with before applying to university um, i wanted to get her feedback on certain programs um, for university and when i came into the office uh, her office uh, she put a stack of college programs on her desk i didn't even speak to her she didn't even look at my transcript yet she thought it was colleges that I was trying to apply to. And there's no knock on people that go to college. There's some programs where college is actually better. I was very uncomfortable with that assumption that she made that I was only applying to colleges. And I, in in my naivety, thought like, oh, she just made a genuine mistake, yada, yada, like whatever, I'll just correct her. Um, I remember telling her, hey, I want to um, apply to these programs. And again, before checking my transcripts, nothing. Uh, she just asked me to really be realistic about where it is that I wanted to head in life. And that stung me. And I remember that stuck with me. And she refused to kind of spend much time on university programs and try to offer me college alternative, right? So those are the kind of incidents that I'm really getting at, the incidents where the education system delegitimized um, the hopes and dreams of of ki uh, kids who are black or, or people of color. And I think that lasting, yeah. that effect um, has lasting impact. So as yeah. you go on through life, you think to yourself, am I good enough for this? Should I apply to this? Let me be realistic yeah. about this. Like it really it sticks with you. And it's something that uh, not only in the work context, but as you get older, it's like in the business context too, right? Like, should I open a business? Are people going to support me? Am I going to be successful? Like. Yeah. Uh, that really gets implanted in your mind. So that's why I think it's important to, to like really address this kind of issue. 
The yeah. Dogs, yeah, it's it's a big issue, right? And I think those those assumptions, those advice to be realistic, those are dangerous, and it it, it has lasting impacts, right? Similar to like a, a bad teacher or a bad guidance counselor, and it it really messes up the mindsets of you know those those kids, those youth that actually end up growing up and you know, who have the potential of, of, of doing incredible things, but we're told that they need to be realistic, right? Um, this actually, it's a good way to kind of uh, enter into, into our new topic. And, you know, Kyrie Irving, and, and for our listeners who don't know, Kyrie Irving is a point guard with the Brooklyn Nets. He, he recently proposed uh, NBA players starting their own league. And I think, and, and, and there's obviously in response to everything happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and the pandemic and just some players feeling um, that there's a bit of a safety issue. And I think there's, it's an idea to, to think through. It's an idea to entertain, namely because when you think about NBA players, they have the power. The power is in their hands. Like they are the product. They are the product that millions of people, you know, want to see, right? It's not the owners. Um, but... Um, it was met with resistance, uh, as it is with most uh, radical or not radical, but like different ideas for obvious reasons. There's obviously valid reasons for both sides. Um, but in, in, even in addition to kind of the, 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 the both sides, it was actually met with a lot of controversy, which I found interesting. Um, everyone's giving their two cents. Everyone, uh, some people are making fun of Kyrie as well for, for coming up with that. But his, his vision does beg a, a very important question, and, 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 and Bather, you know, I know that this is a topic that you're, you feel very strongly about, um, you know, when we were talking about this last week, um, but the question that it begs is, why do we mark our own when they try to start their own businesses, when they try to be entrepreneurs, when they have a vision that they want to they wanna, they wanna pursue? I think with the NBA and Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's idea, that's something very unique within this conversation. Um, I think in general, to answer your question, I really don't know. I think it, maybe it goes back to what Lerone said about, you know, comparison being the, what was it? Comparison being the, the thief of happiness of joy. Yeah. of joy or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is a black thing or if this is, you know, like we compare ourselves a little bit more to each other and maybe the comparison is what leads to um, competition. Um, Maybe it's the wrong sort of mentality, that sort of competitive. Um, and they, they say this about Toronto, especially, uh, you know, people don't, black people don't like to, you know, fraternize with strangers. I go to other cities and people say what up to me. It's kind of cool. I think the anti-black sentiment, I don't know. I think maybe it has something to do with that. With the Kyrie, with Kyrie Irving's idea, I feel like he's gotten a bad rep over the flat earth thing. He uh, he probably should have led with starting a league before the flat Earth. Um, that might have <laughs> been the better sequence to go with. It's not like as an idea. It's not it's not inherently bad. I think sometimes we forget like how much money NBA owners actually have. So they would need to drum up support from the partners with the owners, which are like the advertising agencies and you know Coca Cola and Gatorade and all these people who are going to actually fund this league, right? So. Um, the idea itself is not bad. I'm all for it. I'm actually, yo, start a new league. Why not? There used to be an ABA. There used to be the Negro Leagues in, in baseball, right? So um, I don't think people should just shoot it down immediately and say, you know, that that's not possible. It is possible. It's existed in other formats, you know. And at a time in history when it was actually less acceptable to have, you know, black people even playing sports, right? So um, why couldn't we do it now? Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think if that's a black thing, it's 
kind of sad that you know shoots things like that that down out of like you know the realm of possibility but it's good that at least that you know there's forums now discuss it very widely so that maybe the temperature kind of changes on that you know i don't know what you guys think uh, as Bader mentioned the Kyrie irving thing is um uh, a bit more nuanced uh, with regards to uh, black business and black ownership because i don't think he was formal in terms of what it is like what the plan was what a business he actually wanted to start i think it was more of a conceptual thing so for me it's like the, the focus is like why are we so almost seemingly anti-black ownership like why do we mock our own people when they want to start business and i think that's kind of really really what i want to drive home because there's a lot of people that are actually having businesses out here actually seeking support and uh, we have multiple factors at play so one i think is the high profile failures of business ventures and um, the emphasis put on those so think of ja rule with like firefest the next it, it almost like the next black entertainer who wants to create a digital product has to overcome that kind of story right the other one is our community is very much like impatient when it comes to the quality of your product if something is not top-notch quality when you bring it out uh, or when you introduce it black twitter is is going to probably jump on that right so you're going to get mean uh, you're going to get mocked you're going to get laughed at um so we have a shorter leash not as much time to like iterate right and, and i feel like people are quick to mock um, which is a, a challenge and another thing is like it ultimately goes back to these feelings of like unfairness that i think Kyrie was kind of getting at and it's not as wild of an idea as batter mentioned the negro leagues were quite successful with regards to attendance with regards to the stars that the negro league housed uh, before that integration with the mlb and i'm pretty sure if it continued in its form um it would go toe to toe with uh, the mlb right people are quick to lambast you in the media is like wild oh this thought process is crazy this guy's business idea is crazy um, but a lot of the most innovative products that we had sounded crazy at the beginning, right? When Steve Jobs was putting together putting together his uh, idea maybe for the iPhone, like a fully touch phone, we could have had like a Kyrie situation where people were like, yo, this guy's crazy. What do you mean? But people gave him a chance. And I feel like we should give our own, in terms of community, a chance to spread their wings and show us what they're capable of and give them a bit of time to iterate and create new products instead of having the knives out right from the beginning. You know, that's kind of the sentiment that I have. Yeah, because Silicon Valley Valley is full of full of examples of constant failure stories of ventures, right? That a lot of entrepreneurs today talk about Stuart Butterfield, Reed Hoffman, like these guys, they're just, you know, guys that, you know, had failed business ventures and they, they talk about it openly, proudly. And, you know, they were able to find their idea that took them to the next level. And it's important mm -hmm. that we, we offer the same benefit of the doubt, if you will, to, to our own. Uh, in terms of this, I need a, I need a moment, guys, because... I'm gonna go on a little angry black man rant right now. I have the Afro pick ready because this is something that really, really I'm gonna actually gonna. This is a black segment right now, right? This should have been our say. This should have been our say word moment. Like our say word moment should have been this. Not food for thought. Because this really, really, really pisses me off, right? Batter, you mentioned a couple of things. I, I need to address before I start with the points I wanted to make. You mentioned the amount of money that the NBA owners have, but if you look at uh, when they started off their teams, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, the Golden State Warriors, when they bought it, was, uh, was worth, I think, a few hundred million. 
Oh, fraction. Yeah. Fraction. After yeah, Steph yeah. Curry, it's worth now a couple billion. Billion. The Cleveland Cavaliers before LeBron James were worth like a couple hundred million. They're worth billions now. So do the NBA are there NBA players that have a couple hundred million dollars? There there are. Are there black ownership groups that can put together thirty two teams and create a league? Absolutely we can do that. Right? Yeah. I think the mentality is what it is, and people really have to stop and think about how black issues globally are connected. Think about what they're telling you. I think the, the main reason why black businesses have so much opposition and so much difficulty succeeding is because of the mentality that you're being bombarded with constantly. Think about what they're telling you. When you look at a football team of a league that's comprised of 70% black people, but all of the owners are white, and 99% of the leadership positions, anything that requires any cerebral prowess, coaches, the quarterback, is dominated by white people. What are they telling you? We need your talent, we need your muscle, but you're not smart enough to run this operation. So when Kyrie proposes, hey, why can't we own our own league, and you see people laughing in the comments, saying this guy is crazy, black people. That infuriates me because it's like, you can't see what's, you can't see what's going on. You can't see that when Jay-Z proposes yeah. title and whatever problems title has, every platform has problems, right? As soon as he announces that, it, immediately you see this like avalanche of like criticism and it's too expensive. He had to, he had to actually have a concert and he was like, he, he, he dropped a freestyle and he says, Everyone they're hating on looks the same as you. Piece it together. Like, it's not rocket science. We can own these things. We have to, we have to um, get to a point where we understand what's happening right now. Every black brand that has come up in the last 20 years has had some type of ridicule attached to their, their name. It's just now we're coming into a state of consciousness where it's like, okay, people are seeing some, are, are, and I think it's, it has to do with this like movement of black excellence that people are pushing. People are seeing value in black brands. So it's like, okay, let's support Revolt. Let's support Tidal. Let's support Rihanna's products. That's now we're, I see a shift in our mindset where we feel like we're capable. But we really need to get to the point where we start believing our, in ourselves, man. Because we have to recognize that some of this is by design. Some of this is a slavery, a slavery yeah. mentality that we're carrying on. That we're saying... You're, you black people are good for your labor, you're good for your work, you're not good for um, the, intellectual, the intellectual stewardship of this system. Yeah. And we have, we have to believe in ourselves to know that that is false and we can own these things. Wow. We have to wake up. The, the, like, I think the, the, like, the main the one, the first thing, I just want to jump in, the first thing you said, like, in terms of the, the wealth generation in sports, right? Like, you see these owners... No, and like you said, the lack of diversity of these owners, right? You have this exponential wealth generation over the last 15 to 20 years. And at the same time, you have the same owners going into lockouts, not wanting to give the players the money that they deserve. And like you said, supporting black products, the NBA is a black product. No one can tell me otherwise. It is a black league. It's a black product. And that's what they are selling. They're selling the guys walking in and the clothes that they are wearing. They're selling... You know, the headphones that they're, they're wearing, they're selling everything, right? There's not a second that these guys during the season are not being sold to people, right? They get 
they get paid hundred thousand dollars to go and make an appearance at a club you know like the product it, it's it's a black product right so so then you go back exponential wealth generation you see them penny pinching now you see them say nothing over issues that are inherently black you know now is the exact time we should be considering this right in my opinion right so i, I share your frustrations don't feel like you're ranting because i do i do share the same frustrations it's like like the people laughing in the comments it's like why are you so quick to laugh you want to make everything meme worthy but you don't want to actually think critically about something right so it's a lack of it speaks to kind of a lack of imagination too you know yeah like for us uh, in creating this podcast it's like yeah. we see a gap in media right so we see yeah. a gap in terms of covering of these stories that we're passionate yeah. about so someone might be like oh that's just is but we decided to do something about it right and and they've sterilized our our history like people don't know about the negro leagues anymore have you seen any footage of the negro leagues in the last 10 years of your life i don't know and it's a very good point you make because now it's like people have started to see colored uh pictures of the civil rights marches and somebody told me like the media has a focus on making it black and white to create that sense of distance right to yeah. make you feel yeah. like that was Kennedy assassination is in full color. It's been in full color. Yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't we get the protests in full color that came like six years later? One quick point about the League, Negro League. I won't be long. Uh, this okay. is something I learned recently. The integration of the uh, Negro League and Major League Baseball, based on what I understand now, it didn't happen because of the goodness of someone's heart. What I understand now is that the Negro League was so commercially successful that that incentivized them to integrate. We're starting to become more adept. And I, as Laurent mentioned, we're, we're, we're starting to see brands that we can get behind, but there's still a lot of work to do. So even Laurent, you mentioned Fenty. It's like uh, Rihanna, I think, controls only 15% of that. So the rest is owned by MBH, right? So on front facing, of course, we're super happy to support but at the end of it, ownership doesn't reflect the end product, same as we mentioned with like the NBA. So but also like let's expand our imagination. So instead of just asking to like for these companies to open doors, why not support our own in creating these companies? Because it's the, the narrative that black people did just didn't have the education or didn't have the talent uh, starting to fall apart. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's so much there's so much themes that that come out of this um, themes of, of of privilege of ownership of the need for more black representation more consciousness and and I think it's important that we continue having these conversations and 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 for us doing better and um and I and this somewhat ties in well to our final topic and before we end and conclude today's episode and um, one of the the interesting byproducts of everything that's happening with race relations in the u.s um even here in, in our backyard is the renaming of dundas street uh the city of on um, which bring up points of symbolism and for our listeners, you know, both names traced, so Henry Dundas, Benjamin Vaughn, both these names, and many more, Sir John A. McDonald, and there's, there's countless others. These names trace back to people who, who were prominent historical figures, um, as we, as we learn in, in our education system. There's a side to it that we never talk about. Um, but they also work to preserve racial inequality uh, and also exploitation. And Elsie, I know this is a topic that you're very passionate about. Um, you know, there's been debate on on other sides of the on the other sides of the coin where people who are, I guess, against uh, eradicating these symbols of history, uh, they feel that it's a threat um, and there's a risk of losing the opportunity to learn from these these historical figures. What's right. what's your response to that? 
to get to a point of true reconciliation, we have to, there will have to be compromise on, on, I don't, I don't like to view it as sides, but there will have to be compromise on both sides, right? Uh, people have to understand that symbolism matters. I get it that, uh, some people may feel that this is a part of history, but, uh, there's some parts of history that should not be celebrated. There's some parts of history that belong in museums. Every, uh, every oppressed, uh, people, uh, every oppressed community, whenever they've achieved any form of liberation or advancement, the first step of that advancement is tearing down the symbols that remind them of their affliction or their, their subjugation, right? Right? There's a plethora of examples throughout history. This is no different. Um, we cannot exist and thrive in a system where we're constantly reminded of the horrors that we endured historically, right? And those statues were only erected after slavery was abolished. So they were erected for a reason. So they have to come down for a reason. If you have an argument with a racist, right, as a black man, what's their go-to line? Go back to Africa. Those symbols reinforce that mindset. We have to get to a point where we see value in each other. And if we have institutions and symbols that represent a history of colonialism, then it's easy to view things through that prism. We belong here. We helped build Western civilization with our blood, sweat, and tears. So by tearing down these symbols, that's the first step in terms of feeling like we actually belong, and that would facilitate true yeah. reconciliation. There are some people who say, oh, we should be focusing on other things before we focus on statues. That's like just surface-level stuff. I disagree with that. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, I yeah. just that's my point on this. I think we yeah. need to understand the importance of symbolism because... You can never, even you look at what's being debated right now is that statue with Abraham Lincoln and the slave kneeling at his feet. Yeah. How can you stand up and be proud as a people? That yeah. makes no sense whatsoever. We need to get to a point where we see ourselves as part of this society, not guests. You know, yeah. not, there's no Africa. There's an Africa to go back to, but we help. We built this. We help build it. So yeah. we have to yeah. feel like we belong. And I think I, I think you made a couple of good points. Sorry, Hirsch, did you want to jump in? No, just real quick. There's two. There's a a couple of points that you made that I really agree with. And first one is like, you know, you, they put them up for a reason. Like people can say, okay, they're just statues. They're inanimate objects. You shouldn't care that much about them, right? But it's the meaning behind them, right? And it's like, like you said, Lorraine, you put them up for a reason, and they have to come down for a reason. Then. And just as symbolic as those statues are, the taking it taking it down is just as, and it symbolizes to people that okay, you're actually these are the easy wins, right? And the people that fight against this, and this is the point I wanted to make, the people that fight against that push, they seem to have so much energy for this, right? But they don't have the same energy for people dying in the streets, you know? Mm. Like a guy had his neck crushed for eight minutes, and that doesn't move them. But they'll go and paint themselves with Confederate colors and go stand in front of a statue. The take, the removing. I, I had no idea that NASCAR still had the Confederate flag at their races until two weeks ago. They had that flag. They flew a, a plane that said "Defund NASCAR" and the Confederate flag over the last race. But I'll say, just to, to wrap this up quick, like I'll say, like people have the energy for defending hallmarks of their brutal history of their people's brutal history against us, but won't actively say anything to 
evidence of it happening right at this moment moment like literally happening on instagram live on facebook live literally in front of your eyes and it doesn't move them right so there's an inherent disconnect between people who can sympathize and people that are defending statues you know i don't see any compromise their side when they want to scrub any aspect of history that shows them in a negative light we've i don't know if we've ever talked about the uh the textbooks that they used to teach us in social studies here um where chapter one starts with aboriginal creationism or first nations creationism which is their religion and chapter two is just scrubs over everything their way of life and goes straight to european contact and that they let them in they let them settle they moved out of the way you know So if they're willing to rewrite their actions if they're willing to rewrite their actions in that manner to hide what they look like, yeah. how they behaved and how they moved, then why should we, you know, allow them to keep it street? It's a question for the ages because the Germans did it, right? The Germans have fully acknowledged their history and 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 these guys can't seem to, to get on board too. Yeah. It's a question for the ages. It's a, it's a challenge because some of these figures, uh, I mean, you bring up the, the example of Germany, it's like, as a country, it's harder to reckon with uh, the fact that some of these like shadowy figures of the past are fundamental to the creation of your own country, right? So with Germany, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that Hitler was a point in time and they really regret that point in time. But for yeah. Americans, it's like very touchy because uh, it's some of these people that were putting under a microscope are what they consider their founding fathers, right? So yeah. it's like tied into this idea of patriotism. It's tied into this idea of uh, American exceptionalism. Um, and it, it's very hard um, to have a serious conversation about that because it, it, people on this front are usually set in stone. So you don't have a lot of people in the middle. I feel like there's people that know it's wrong, um, people that know it's wrong but are not like it's too touchy of a, to- a topic they don't want to really get into it and there's then an people who are, yeah there's an asterisk basically and then yeah. people who are dead set on not having any of those things changed and i think Jerome, when you mentioned the symbol- symbolism and we we talked about this uh, previously and i was staunchly of the opinion that it was like window dressing and i was like yeah you can tear down these like statues and everything and but how much does it actually change the system you've you've brought me around a bit and i think it's tiered like there's egregious examples like you mentioned them but let's let's make it more let's let's put it more in the context of canada right so uh, i saw for example a graphic going around that wilfred laurier um was mentioning at one point that uh, people who belong to the Negro race were deemed unsuitable uh, to come into Canada. And this was around 1911. Uh, John A. MacDonald had a huge part to play in the residential school system. Uh, what's his name? I'm blanking out. William Lyon McKenzie was one of the leaders. It's not just him, but in North America, who turned away entry for 900 Jew- Jewish refugees aboard the passenger ship MS St. Louis. And then Robert Borden, who was behind the Chinese head tax and the Chinese exclusion act, right? And these guys are all on your money. $5 bill, the $10 bill, the $50 bill, and the $100 bill, right? So realistically, like how fast can we get movement on uh, uh, coming to grips with these symbols? Is it gonna be easy? No, because the figures are so celebrated in terms of the founding 
of what we think of as Canada. And in the States, they have the same reckoning where it's like, okay, what do you do, you know? And the right finds an easy way to be like, okay, you're going to tear that down? What about the founding fathers? And I think a lot of people on the left get like stuck on that point. So uh, for me, it's like, even if we change these symbols, does it make a difference, for example, with the uh, systems that we have in place? I, I feel like I just don't want it to become a point of focus where we lose sight at what is ultimately the most important thing, which is the reforming of these actual institutions. We look at City Hall, right? In Toronto, let's just use Toronto as an example. Does City Hall look like what Toronto looks like? No, to me, like the more important thing to me is like City Hall doesn't look like the people that it represents. So why don't we start there? Laurent, you mentioned True Gun and Walk at the same time. And I would love for people to have that bandwidth to like focus on different aspects. But we see in the protests prior to the George Floyd thing, energy is like very limited, I feel like. Mm. And, and I, I just don't want it focused on things that are more window dressing in nature. Right. Ron, did you want to respond, respond to that? Yeah, then, yeah, 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 did you want, yeah, I do. Yeah, do you want to respond to that? Agree. And then, yeah, I do agree that uh, policy is extremely important. Um, the degree of that importance um, uh, can be debated, but I think that these issues have to be dealt with congruently. And if we have institutions and symbols that represent a history of colonialism, then it's easy to view things through that prism. If I'm making sense. Yeah, if you have a if you have institutions where I think to essentially cure racism and and cure that mindset you you have to reform the mindset of people. And symbolism has a lot to do with how people see things, right? Yeah. But I do agree that policy has to play a role in things. Like you have to change things uh policy-wise, yeah. but if you change things policy-wise without reforming the minds of people, then they'll find ways around the policy. You know yeah. what I mean? So I think it yeah. has to work together. Yeah. And I do want to say this, I can, if I can just say this, um, every leader in human history, you'll never find 100%, like they won't have a 100% approval rating. There'll always be groups that say, this man is horrible, this woman is horrible, they don't, uh, they don't reflect my values, they did this to my people. You'll always yeah. find that, right? But if you have a situation where it's in the best interest of the country in terms of reconciliation to recognize a history that is really egregious right and to yeah. heal those wounds that yeah. is for that's the that's in the best interest of our country of our continent of our world to really address these issues right this yeah. is not just a, a few people clamoring about one person this is a, this is a significant segment of your population so much so much so that you have a global protest going on yeah so yeah. we have it it, it it behooves us to address these issues it's it's you know what there's we could go on for days about these topics um, and 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 you bring valid points and you know for our listeners I I know that and and we'll end it there for today's session um, but this was incredible I think we've given our listeners so much to think about so much around mindset and, and reforming policy improving our mentalities education um, seeking to understand and not judging. And um, for our listeners, we hope that you, you found this, you found today's episode insightful. We hope it made you think. We hope you had a good laugh as well, too, as part of it. And I'm excited to see what we do for our next episode, brothers. 